0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380 and streaming live on the internet at WNRI.com Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue
2: Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today in studio by Tony Biscaya of RevsNet.com uh, for the final show of the 2008 season. We've been hoping every year that we'll be able to have a great celebration show when the Revs finally bring home the Cup, but it hasn't happened yet, and this wasn't the year for it. The Revs fell 3 0 on Thursday night to the Chicago Fires to be eliminated from the postseason play, the earliest they've ever been eliminated since Steve Nichols been coach, which is an interesting thing to, to look at there. But really, the Revs had a lot of injuries going into that game for. Three of their top, their three top scores actually were all out injured. Um, and then Kano Smith, who was a key contributor in the midfield later on the season, was out as well on suspension. And then when Jeff Lurino once went down early on in the match with that uh, hor- after that horrible tackle they took there, that I, I think could have been a red card, um, went down and was out for the rest of that match. And they had to make the sub there. That was another huge blow for the Revs. I thought they were playing pretty well up until that point, but um, and then to go into halftime and give up a goal just before the half uh, was another major blow to the Revs. I don't think there was. Much coming back from that, um, after after that mental blow there to, to have to go into half, down one nothing when you're so close to 0 and to be down without Lerunowitz after already missing so many key starters, it was really a tough road for the revolution in that match.
0: It was. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, along with um, Shalri Joseph, who was also playing hurt, uh, but gave his all, as he always does. But um, obviously, we just didn't have the horses, Um it was a tough one to swallow because uh, you know injuries are unpredictable. They hit every team at certain times in this year. They just seemed to pile up at the wrong end of the season and uh, left us uh, pretty much without any resources. Uh, Steve Nickel, you know, want, like you said, once we fell behind, well, we don't have much offensive help left on the bench at this time. So, what can you
2: do? And it was always going to be tough too, going there without a lead, not getting a goal in that home leg. But the revs did really play out. A- a, a good game in the home leg, considering the poor form they were in going into the playoffs. And, and another blow, too, that we should mention was Chris Tierney, who was unavailable. He played a great game in the home leg, and really the defense looked the best it had in a long time in that game, and then they had to switch it up again and bring on Igwe in Tierney's place. I was actually happy to see that nickel brought in Igwe, as opposed to Badia, who seemed like really wasn't meshing well with Parkers in the mill. needed some more time for that in the playoffs. Certainly wasn't the time to, to continue that experiment, but uh, I, I, I thought Igwe... Could have done a little bit better than he did. He should have probably tracked back on that on that shot um, that led to Chris Rolfs' goal and try to get to that rebound. But overall, I, I was happy that Nickel made that decision to put an Igwe because we hadn't seen him in a while, and I thought he looked good at left back in the time he had. Just just hadn't looked good in center back when he'd been playing there. But it'll be interesting to see going forward uh, what Nickel decides to do. There's going to be a lot of guys that are probably going to go, including Parkhurst in the offseason.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a very interesting uh, next few weeks because uh, the dispersion draft. Uh, will be coming up, uh, and also contract negotiations with the guys that may or may not be coming back. Some very key personnel, like Michael Parkhurst. Um, And uh, there's been rumors about Taylor Twellman, and uh, God only knows how the team makeup will change. Uh, They did bring in uh, quite a bit of young blood this year, but unfortunately most of them weren't experienced. Uh, They seemed to do well uh, through the early part and uh, into the middle of the season. But then, uh, although I'm sure that experience uh, benefited the team overall, uh, as the injuries piled up, um, it was just a little too much to ask of all those young kids. Without the uh, midfield generals and uh, without the senior guidance that we usually have on this team, uh, it was just not to be this
2: year. Yeah, and mentioning Twelman, who certainly there have been rumors for a long time now of a possible move, and maybe it will happen this off season, but that would be quite the blow for the Reds especially if you were listening to the broadcast there and heard that Twon was the only revs to score in, I think, their last eight playoff games. So that, that, that's a worrying statistic there, and unfortunate that they weren't able to change that in this postseason uh, with guys like Kelly Dubé and Kenny Mansali. But those two uh, had scored combined one goal um, since June 20th going into the playoffs, or I think it was actually June 12th. So that was never going to be easy for them to get back on track heading into the playoffs. So it was really unfortunate that all these injuries piled up when they did.
0: Uh, yeah it's true, and then um in my opinion uh the the revs chances really took a nosedive when Steve Ralston was out. There was a chance that he might have come back, uh but a lot of our offense goes through him, and uh I think that other players feed off of uh the the space that he creates for other people, and uh he just makes our offense click. uh once Taylor was declared out, and you know in my opinion uh. If it wasn't this game, then it would have been, you know, maybe the next series. I, I just couldn't see that we had the resources to go far this year. And uh, that's not to say that the guys that were out there didn't give their all. We're proud of our team. Uh, I think they did the best that, that you could under the circumstances.
2: Yeah, certainly certainly played. I, I didn't think they actually played that badly um, in that match, especially in the first half until that goal and until Lorenowitz went out. I thought they were pretty much matching Chicago Fire um, for a good portion of that match. Uh, until really that goal changed things right before the half, which was unfortunate, as well as the run with his injury, which was extremely unfortunate for the revs. There, I hope I haven't heard the update on his status or what the situation is there. But I hope it's not a, a full ankle, broken ankle there. But it looked like from that tackle that it certainly could have been.
0: Yeah, uh, the lo- the last I heard, and it's not official, uh, is that there was no break, but uh, it, it was a nasty looking uh, tackle and. Uh, of course, we don't want anybody to get hurt, whether it's on our team or anybody else's. But uh, Jeff's proven to be one of our uh, key guys. We need him out there, game in, game out. And uh, uh, I, I agree with you that uh, the team came out with a, a really good mindset. I thought that we'd, um, you know, I'd, you never know how they're going to come out. You'd expect them to be more attacking at home, and then actually, I, as you said, I, I thought we started out better in in the second leg at Chicago than we actually played at home. So. Um, all you can do is try to build on this stuff, um, obviously retool the team. Uh, Steve Nickel and um, Paul Mariner and uh, the the staff of this team has a big job ahead. Uh, hopefully we have another successful draft, but uh, beyond that, there's going to be some decisions to be made. So we'll, we'll see how it turns out by the beginning of next year.
2: Well, the question looking back now is did they do enough in this offseason uh, to bring players in? They brought in Castro, Mauricio Castro, and they... Um, they gave the the two Gambian players more time but they had actually brought them in last year you got to wonder if maybe they should have made a move sooner to, to get some help for Twoman up top instead of relying on some of these unexperienced guys or you know something along those lines in the offseason that they, they they weren't able to do uh,
0: well you know when when um, Kelly started doing well or and Kenny Monsali uh, early in the year uh, I, I think that maybe they thought they didn't have to because those guys were providing uh, s- some Facets of the game that we didn't have in the past—the speed, uh, along with uh, Niasi—and um, but I agree with you. I, I think that regardless of uh, who does well, uh, you you can't err on the side of uh, not getting all the resources that you can. You even if your guys are doing well, and maybe the guys you bring in are great, but they you know at least compete for team spots. Uh, it it can't help but improve the team and. Uh, earlier in the year, we we were thinking, wow, with all these new guys doing really well, we had some uh, pretty good depth. But then as the injuries piled up and, and as the uh, fixtures' uh, congestion took their toll on, on the personnel, it, it just became obvious uh, eventually, you know, the last month or two, uh, n- never mind the results, just uh, the way the team was playing. We just didn't have our legs, and we didn't have very good, good prospects, certainly not like the last few years going to, into the postseason.
2: Yeah, and it was interesting watching how the season played out. Certainly looked very good early on, especially culminating with them winning the Super League. They were in first place um, into August going there. And then things just really fell apart after after their Super League victory. E- even when they did manage to get people healthy towards the end of the season, they weren't able to, to bring things together. The, my, my main question is why did Nickel decide to switch to a a 4-4-2 formation, even when people when he did have the personnel to play the 3-5-2. Obviously as injuries piled up, it became more obvious that they had to play the 4-4-2, but that never worked all season, it seemed to me, uh, with the exception of that one game early on when they had just about no one available and they went into Dallas and came away with the result, but uh, it seems like this team is still best suited for a 3-5-2 formation. The offense seems to play a lot better in it, and e- even with Ross and not on the field, they've played better in a 3-5-2 than in a 4-4-2, so that was, that's my main question, is why why would he switch that up and i think that was um i don't know if that was coinciding with just a coincidence that their drop in form came around that same time or you know what it was but it seemed like badia never really fit into the back line and the four-four-two never worked out this season
0: yeah uh badia is a, a very good player uh i think that if he sticks with the team the next year that people already know how he plays i think he's going to do well but um I agree that uh, he never did seem to, to fit in, and uh, as, as far as the formation switch, uh, I would expect that Steve Nichol was doing uh, what he perceived to be the best use of the personnel available. Uh, whether that uh, actually was uh, the optimum formation and whether maybe we should go with different personnel that didn't give the best players the most minutes, Uh, You can second guess all you want. You know, Uh, there's no way we can go back and replay those games. So, um, you know, you you need to make decisions and sometimes you look back and it's it's easy to say, well, uh, maybe we shouldn't have stuck with that. Uh, But, uh, you know, a couple of different results here and there and maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. It would be a completely different conversation. Uh, As individual players, they all understand that uh, Steve Nichols is going to put the guys out there. And put them in the places where you think they're going to perform their best. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes the coach is a genius. Sometimes, um, you know, it, it doesn't happen, and uh, that's the nature of the sport. Um, th- there's just no way you can say that. For example, uh, you can pin the, the late-season results on a formation alone. That's it. I mean, there were just too many other factors, and uh, I agree that it you know at some point there you have to say oh, geez well you know maybe we need to switch that up if nothing else because we didn't have many other options yeah. personnel wise but uh yeah yeah it was kind of an interesting decision that uh but the other didn't play you know in Alaska. so
2: yeah we'll see what happens going forward i do agree with you that he's a certainly he's shown a lot of good skills and i think with a full preseason behind him with this team will help him immensely and help him fit into this lineup but uh, down the stretch, it really seemed like he, him and Parkers did not have good chemistry together. You know, I think that could change with the preseason. But then at the same time, there's probably a good chance Parkers will be gone. I'd be surprised to see Michael Parkers back uh, with his contract up, him having a dual Irish citizenship. There's got to be some team out there that's going to be willing to pay him more than the Revs are paying him, I would imagine. And I, you know, I think he's he likes being on this team, and I think he likes the area. But uh, it's going to be hard for him to stay with the Revs, I would imagine, this off season with the opportunities that are probably going to be offered to him
0: well i 'm sure that um, if, if they um, wanted to hold on to Michael, they could make a very attractive offer and I, I agree with you he's a local guy um, he's pretty well settled here and uh, uh, but then he's, he's a young guy too and and uh, I'm sure he thrives on a challenge like like uh, any good athlete wants to be on the best team that he could possibly be. Never mind, like you said that uh, there's a lot more money to be made out there outside of MLS. Never mind the revolution. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, pursues some of those opportunities. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one player is easy to replace. I, I think that the revolution is actually facing a, a bigger crisis uh, beyond Michael Parkhurst and maybe even Taylor Twelman. I think that the core of our players that's brought us to success the last uh, five, six years, uh, they're getting older. And, um, you know, we, we haven't been able to do it while they were in their prime. We didn't supplement them with enough uh... young blood and now that finally we seem to be bringing in some reinforcements this year uh... things didn't fall into place and now we may be losing some of those um, key pieces of the puzzle
2: yeah it's going to be very as you said interesting a season going forward and they got arginas fernandez is one guy that they uh, paid uh, a fairly significant transfer, sum to bring into the revs, from what we heard, and it'll be interesting to see if he comes back since he's been out on loan. Uh, it looked like they had obviously high hopes for him. Um, I think it was the first player they'd ever actually paid a transfer fee for, so uh, obviously they expected something out of him. They didn't get it this season. We'll see what happens next season. He's another young guy that you know maybe will step in, whether or not he comes back. That is, and there's a lot of guys like that that we got to see what happens with their their first round draft pick, Rob Valentino. We didn't see it all in the first team this year. Um, you expect more from the revs first round picks just from what we've seen in the past with guys like Parkhurst, Dempsey, Twelman, you know Noonan, uh, all these guys out there in the first round that have performed, and we didn't see him at all. So I think that was another issue too: is the revs draft results not not getting as many good players out of there as they have in the past uh, to supplement some of the guys they brought in from overseas, guys like Castro. But during this offseason, season, they're going to lose, probably going to lose at least one player in the expansion <coughs> draft. From from what we'll, what we'll see, we'll see how that plays out, and then. Um, as you said, Parkhurst is probably going to be gone. You, you know, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll convince him to stay, but that's a big if. And Twelman could, could be gone as well. So this is going to be a difficult, difficult change that this team is going to have to go through.
0: Yeah, and who knows? It might even affect uh, uh, our coaching ranks as well. Uh, we've heard that uh, Paul Marin is in running to be a coach uh, at, at the new team out in the West Coast. Uh, we wish him the best. He's, he's a great guy, a very knowledgeable soccer guy. Contributed uh, a lot to the revolution cause, uh, and um, who knows uh, what, what Steve Nichols thinking. Uh, but you know, this is what happens uh, when you have uh, the results not go your way. Sometimes uh, it, it it can be um, the the key point in in the team deciding to make changes. What I'm not implying that they would um, not want to continue with Steve Nichols, but who knows what Steve Nichols is thinking. Uh, The guys had great success, and then uh, this year things um, just didn't work right. And uh, I don't think you could blame it on the coaches. Um, I don't think you could blame it on um, any individual players or any formation or uh, the other things we've talked about. Uh, Certainly you can't blame the referees on this one. But... uh, you know it, it, it's an interesting it's a, it, it's a dynamic thing the way soccer teams work and the um, the interaction between the personnel that you bring on and and that's one of the the arts of being a coach and uh, Steve Nichols done very well putting together uh, you know a, a, a few key guys and complementing them with people that that can play to their strengths uh, this year it didn't happen so let's see um, how we retool it's going to be very interesting
2: yeah and it's, it's unfortunate too because they've had this great core of players together for Know five or six years now, and have you know, come so close to winning the cup, and they still haven't been able to do it. But guys like Rawlson certainly aren't getting any younger going forward, so they, they are going to have to find replacements for him. You now he says he wants to come back next year. I'm sure he will be back next year, and I'm sure he, from what we saw this year, it looks like he has a lot left in him. But you know, at some point, they're going to have to find someone that can fill in that role because that right there is the the crucial role for this team. They had the guy like Dempsey who looked like could. Could fill in there, but you know, then they lost him overseas. So finding someone there for the long term future is going to be a, a big key going forward as well. Uh, but looking at the revs this season, they they did come away with the Super League championship. Um, they were very disappointing in the Concacaf Champions League falling out in the preliminary rounds there. Uh, but going back in the Open Cup here, they had a chance in the semifinal, you know, just to to get forward against DC, and they really ended up playing a, a pretty weak lineup in that game against DC's first team, and that was. Uh, that, to me, was disappointing, and that would have been an opportunity for them to get back in the Champions League and back in these competitions that you know that they earned places in this year. Obviously, the fixture congestion was a problem for the Revs this year, but uh, should they have taken that Open Cup more seriously now that, as it turns out, they didn't qualify by the Supporters' Shield or by the MLS Cup?
0: Uh, well, you're talking to someone who thinks that we should take every game as seriously as we could and play all of our best personnel. Of course, I'm not the coach, so I, I can't be the one uh, juggling the lineup to try to get the best results for whatever ul- ulterior purposes. is. But um, I-, I agree that, uh, that, you know, the the league, not just the Revolution, has to look at the scheduling and uh, consider the effect on the teams and, uh, of course, knowing that teams have to juggle their personnel. So, you know, any team that has to play, you know, three games in seven days or four games in 20 days or, you know, any- anything like that. Uh, you, you can't just uh, expect that your players can go through the grind like that and not have an effect. Um, a good example, Houston lost tonight and they're out. Yeah,
2: that, and, that... and
0: they were as, as affected, if not more so, than anyone else. And, and they've been performing throughout. Um, they got really good results despite being depleted and playing a lot of their subs. And, um and tonight, you know, they fell flat against a team that no one expected would ever come into their house and beat them, the New York Red Bulls.
2: Yeah, that was that was quite a shocker there. And now we're going to see a Western Conference final between Real Salt Lake and the New York Red Bulls. I don't think anyone could have predicted that going into this season or or even going into the playoffs would have predicted that result to come out. And that should be interesting. So we're, we're going to see a lot of firsts in this postseason uh, we are already seen some, as we said, with the Revs falling out the earliest they have under Steve Nichol. And now we're going to see either Salt Lake or New York in the final for the first time as well.
0: It, it could be the first time that we have an MLS Cup uh, with both teams from the same conference.
2: That's true, too. That should be uh, very interesting. Well, the first time under the current system, because I believe we cool. did have San Jose, uh, Los Angeles at uh, one point back there. But really, uh, still, despite the Revs being out, there's a lot to watch this postseason, and it's going to be interesting going forward.
0: Uh, it, it is, and uh, I, I think that even though Houston's out, uh, they, they were obviously one of the favorites uh, being the defending champions. But uh, at this point, um, uh, Mark, when, when you had him on last time, he picked uh, Salt Lake as one of his dark horses, and they're looking good. Uh, New York may just be uh, you know, coming together at the right time, uh, but the but, uh, odds-on favorites have to be the crew right now. They've, they've had an excellent season. Uh, they're consistent, they have, uh, key personnel healthy through up, you know, up and down the team, and, uh, they just seem to have the momentum going. It's going to be very tough, tough for anyone to stop in this year.
2: Yeah, certainly the the Columbus crew have been a class of the league all year long. I know when we had the show the past couple weeks, we've been looking at, you know, Columbus and Houston as the two the two teams that were going to make it to the final that looked the, the the heavy favorites, Houston fell out. So you never know what could happen, especially between Columbus and Chicago, because Chicago has been a, a good team and you know they've been getting together and playing well as we saw against the Rebs. But Columbus certainly has been the best team all year long, and they have to be the favorites going forward. You know, in, into that Eastern Conference final and into the final. But over out out in the Western Conference now with that with those two teams there, the the uh, New York Red Bulls and Salt Lake. Um, those are two teams that barely made it in. That had to fight to make it into the playoffs, and you know that might be an advantage. We've seen in the past that teams that have been fighting for the, to the end um, have gone in with more momentum. And you know, you never know what could happen.
0: Yeah, I, I can think of one: the Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of our best seasons were when you know we had to really fight tooth and nail to get into the playoffs, and then we had some great success. So uh, there's definitely something to be said uh, about having your um, Team spirit and and your team pull together uh, towards the end of the season versus coasting into a playoffs with a comfortable lead. So um, we'll see. It, it's going to be a very interesting uh, playoff season. And um, uh, unfortunately, uh, this is this is the first year in many that the Revolution fans uh, are going to be, as the players are, uh, from the inst- watching from the outside looking in. But um, you know uh, the leagues uh, evolved and. Uh, certainly I, I wouldn't slight Chicago. They have very good offensive weapons. And, uh, you know, they have a, a fairly good goal. We won the keeper of the year this year. Uh, pretty solid defense. So it's not going to be a cakewalk for, for Columbus. But I, I think that between them, whoever wins the East should, uh, win, win the MLS Cup. But you never know.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, because looking at that, the two teams in the West both have losing records are not winning records because Salt Lake was, a at even 500, but, uh, that would be That's surprising, too. We haven't really seen that um, back in, I don't think, believe we've seen a losing team in the MLS Cup final, or team without a winning record since the Revs back in 2002, at least that I'm aware of. So that, that's another interesting thing there. But, again, we are going to go to a quick break now. You mentioned uh, Mark Connolly and his predictions. Uh, we can get back to him, um, get him on the show, and find out what his thoughts are going forward.
1: Looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and soccernewengland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine, celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com, covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years.
0: National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the
3: history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org
1: and plan your trip to Oneonta. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380.
2: Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined in studio by Tony Vizcaya of ResNet.com. We're still trying to get Mark Connolly of gold.com on the phone. We'll see if we can uh, get him on in the next couple minutes here. But uh, looking at the other playoff results, we should bring them up now that we mentioned the uh, Red Bulls result there. Um, The 3-0 victory over Houston, which was certainly the the most surprising shock of the results in um, and, and the league here. But we also saw Salt Lake tie Chivas USA 2-2, which was an upset in itself, certainly after getting a victory at home there. Um, Salt Lake, who had done really well at the beginning of the season, it seemed like they kind of fell apart towards the end of the year. They were in first place at one point uh, and just barely made it into the playoffs with a 10-10-10 record. It, w- it was good to see them finally get... Get, get in the playoffs after coming in as an expansion team. I had some high hopes for them going in. I thought they had a pretty good roster in their first year. Didn't work out for them over the, the first couple of years, but now they came right back in here and beat their, their fellow expansion side, Chivas USA, and advanced to the Western Conference Final. So it was a good story to see them finally make it there, especially with their new stadium yeah, now, and the they're going to host there. that host that Western Conference Final at their brand new stadium.
0: And uh, that looked very good on TV, by the way. Uh, so uh, I, I agree, it's it's great for their fans. Hopefully, it will help uh, fill up the stadium next year. And I think uh, Salt Lake does have, uh, you know, the the basis of a very good team for the next few years. So we'll, we'll see how well they do. Uh, it's going to be a toss-up, in my opinion. Uh, do, do we know who's hosting? Is it Salt Lake yeah. will be hosting uh, New York? So. Uh, that would give them a slight edge, but, uh, you know. The I think at their new-, new
2: stadium will be a pretty big edge for them too. It, like.
0: it will be, but, you know, New York's playing on the road, they're playing well, they, they're confident, and, uh, they also have some uh, pretty good offensive weapons, and honestly, the player of the game today for New York was their goalie, uh, Sapero. He, he made three or four superb saves, including one where he kind of flubbed the clearance, uh, where he meant to hit the ball, he was outside the air, had to use his feet, and uh, a Houston player managed to knock it over his head but yet he recovered and and pulled that ball out of the air um, and and kept them off the scoreboard and and they they had some point blank chances so um, he did a great job and when your keepers hot like that it gives your team a chance it gives everybody confidence so well we'll see how that one goes
2: and it's worth noting too uh talking about New York uh at home this season they were a lot better than on the road but in the playoffs we saw how well they played against Houston they only had one win on the road all regular season uh, meanwhile looking at salt lake they only had one loss on the home at home all regular season so uh, I-, I think Certainly, that's going to be an edge to Salt Lake playing at home, but it's going to be a, a very good matchup between those two teams, and one that I'm excited to look forward to, to watching there. And it's also good to see, um, as we saw, we mentioned Columbus going through into the Eastern Conference final. They're a team that's done very well in the regular season, but has never won the MLS Cup. And now they're going to have a chance against Chicago to get there. And if, if Columbus should win, then we're going to have two teams in the MLS Cup that have never won it before, which is something we haven't seen in a little while. With the uh, Revs in Houston seems to be. Uh, the the dominant teams over the past couple of years.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm sure it, it's going to be good for the league in general to to have uh, new faces and uh, you know new fan interests uh, th- that are you know personally involved in in the stakes of MLS Cup. Uh, I'm all for the revolution, having a dynasty if, <laughs> if if you could call it that as far as getting to the finals. Uh, but uh, you know uh, it, it, it's good to to have the different. Uh, teams have a, a shot at uh, different cups, especially that main one that uh, seems to be
2: everybody's priority. Yes, yeah, certainly is, and it's, it's, it seems a little bit weird to me the way they did the playoffs this year with uh, having the wild cards in New York going over to the Western Conference, but uh, still, I, I think it's good that we have these new teams over there, and I think it's uh, great for New York to, to be going there. I know they're getting a new stadium fairly soon, and we see Salt Lake's new stadium, and it's a good showcase there to have the Western Conference final at that brand new stadium, uh, but... Regardless, of how big of a of a thing would this be for Salt Lake to come home and bring home the championship, and that would certainly invigorate those fans after two years of you know pretty pretty poor performances from that team.
0: Definitely, um, uh, Salt Lake has had fairly good success considering that you know they were playing on a, a football field, artificial turf. Uh, but you know, on the field, they've they've done well. They've consistently improved. They've brought in some solid players. Um, and uh, you could you could make a good case for uh, Morales being the unsung hero of the year. That, that guy has been M- their MVP, in my opinion. And um, uh, if he had started, um, if they had had better results through the earlier portion of the season, his name would be in the mix, and he might actually be a, a pretty solid candidate to, to, to challenge Scalotto. Um, at this point, um, he's probably not even going to be, I, I don't think he's officially in the running for MVP. But uh, you know he, he could turn out to be the guy that brings him brings home that trophy and uh, that that's uh, the, the ultimate award
2: <laughs> yeah cert, certainly is the the MLS Cup and that would be quite the way to christen that new stadium there in Salt lake but but really it's been uh, a very interesting season overall in MLS be going into it we had New England and Houston as the Probably the two front runners again after the way they'd played the past two years. The Revs seemed like going forward into the season were living up to their potential. Houston started out pretty slowly, came back up. The Revs started out really well and then started falling down. Um, And then we saw Columbus, uh, who really emerged as a great team this year. They didn't make that many key additions in the offseason. They just really came together. And, you know, after kind of disappointing last year for them, um, this year they performed a lot better. And they're a team, as I said, that the Revs have upset in the playoffs. They seem to always. You know, know, they've finished with the supporter shield before, but then they just haven't been able to pull it off in the playoffs, so it's going to be difficult for them to get over that hump. final. You know, important for them to do that, too.
0: Yeah, I think um, part of the success of Columbus um, has to be attributed to a couple of key people. One on the field. Uh, Obviously, Scalotto makes any team better, uh, and and, uh, he can do things that uh, there's not many other midfielders in this league that can do. Uh, I think that once uh, he had uh come in and establish themselves. I think that this year they were ripe for success just because of that, because they knew what this guy could do and they started using him uh or he started using his teammates as well, uh, to the best of everybody's ability. And and the other factor is that um Siggy Schmidt um uh has had success almost everywhere he's gone. And uh he's not the kind of guy that's gonna, you know, suddenly, you know, change half the team. He's he's a steady guy that's going to you know make the best use of the guys he's got and try to find some pieces that are going to fit in and complement everybody else um but they they've had a couple of young guys that that, uh made a difference as well um Robbie um Robbie rogers right yeah Uh, uh, i mean the guy's got legs He's, he's had a very good season for them um there's been some personnel changes, but as you said, nothing that would jump out at you and say, oh, that's why they're doing well this year. So sometimes it's, it's, um, you know, look at the revolution. Uh, we've had pretty much the same personnel, and uh, it's not like you need to bring in a lot. Granted, uh, Columbus hadn't had the success, but, uh, um, I think there's a lot to be said for the chemistry of the team. Uh, they don't really have any stars. Uh, Chad Marshall. Individually, probably got the, the biggest uh, honor being selected defender of the year. But, uh, you know, their the goalkeeper, eh, he did well, did what he had to do. Uh, their offense scored enough goals and, you know, uh, but, but the consistency is the key. They've, um, they've been there, uh, throughout the year and then, you know, uh, in the last couple of months, they pretty much ran away with a supporter's shield. Um, so if, if they can keep up that form, uh, they should be definitely the, the team to beat in MLS Cup.
2: And mentioning Siggy Schmidt, it's kind of hard to to not bring up the Los Angeles Galaxy. And and what a mistake that has turned out to be since since firing Siggy Schmidt when they were in first place. And they've had really no success at all since. They've certainly been spending a lot of money and bringing guys like David Beckham, uh, keeping guys like Landon Donovan on the roster, and bringing in a guy like Carlos Ruiz as well. But they've had no success at all since really since getting rid of him. And in changing things up in the middle of a season when he was in first place, that was quite a surprising move back when they did that and look at how they did this year Uh, last place in the league despite all that money they're spending so it's kind of interesting to see how they do going forward but that was certainly a disappointing season for them
0: Um, I I think it's disappointing to MLS in general to to have uh, possibly the premier American player along with the David Beckham on the same team and not even make the playoffs because those games, every game they play is high visibility as you know they fill stadiums Um, and they they were doing okay for a while, but um, <clears throat> overall, again, they just didn't have the horses. You know, their their defense was atrocious for a long time, and uh, I think they waited too long to make changes. Uh, I, the coaching situation was obviously a factor, uh, but but it all boils down to you know Columbus has what uh, the Galaxy did not have. They have good chemistry. And um, the L.A. Galaxy, despite the names and uh, even the unexpected success, to to me anyways, and probably the majority of people would say that it was an unexpected uh, turn of form for Edson Buttle, the guy did very well. Of course, he's playing with Beckham and and with Landon, and he's going to get some chances to score. But he finally started to put some away, and uh, at at one time it looked like, wow, you know, maybe they're more well-rounded than we realized. But I think that between their, their goalkeeping... And their defense, they just really never had a a chance to, even if they got into the playoffs, they'd they'd be limping. And I I, I couldn't see them uh, being a serious challenge for a championship this year.
2: Yeah, Certainly. And you you mentioned the MVP candidate in Scalotto. Uh, Had the Galaxy done a lot better, I think Landon Donovan would have been a clear MVP with the stats he put up. By 20 goals and 9 assists, I believe, or somewhere around there. It's incredible how well they had... They have some great individual performances. Their offense led the league in goals scored, but uh, as you mentioned, their defense was atrocious. They couldn't they couldn't keep anyone from scoring. They let in 62 goals over 30 games. That's more than two goals a game. That is that is not a good defense at all. I don't think any professional team is going to have success letting in over two goals a game, uh, despite how well they did offensively. So they, they have the tools up front. Can they afford to bring in the tools in the back with the salary cap structure of MLS when they're putting so much money uh, on these offensive guys? That's the question. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I don't think they have to spend major dollars. I, th- I think they just have to make, make smarter, uh, intelligent decisions on uh, the personnel that can get the job done game in, game out, and then let them complement the big names.
2: And it looks like now we've got Mark Connolly from Goal.com on the phone. Mark, thanks for joining us today.
3: Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you.
2: We are just discussing some of the other... Uh, playoff results. Obviously, the Revs going down three to nothing on Thursday. But the the big shocker this week seems to be New York Red Bulls coming up with a three nothing victory over the Houston Dynamo. I know uh, we had John a, a while ago, and it seemed like the Houston Dynamo were one of the favorites, or at least uh, right up there with one of the teams to win MLS Cup. What, what do you think went wrong?
3: Well, I mean, I watched um, I watched all of the last all but the last twenty minutes of the game, and uh, they had just scored the third goal, I believe, and you know, I think that Houston was the better team in the first half. Uh I think, you know, Dane Richards gets in on that breakaway. Um, I think in hindsight, when Wade Barrett watches the tape, I think he's gonna wish he'd probably fouled him about thirty yards from goal once once he had a step on him, uh, rather than really run next to him for thirty yards. Um, so they they get that goal there and then I thought it was an unfortunate call, uh, that Ricardo Clark suffered there on the on the handball. Um, and then all of a sudden once I got the two you know, then they're chasing the game, and, and it became you know very difficult. And uh, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you could kind of see what was going to happen. It was just not going to be their day. But um, it's a big shock.
2: And we we looked at this a while ago and said, you know, Houston's clear favorite in the West. Columbus is a clear favorite in the East. Uh, now going to the Cup is is Columbus the, the favorite to win this? Or as uh, it is it tough to say that now after what we've seen in this early round.
3: I, I can only speak for myself I, I can speak the bits of the ESPN broadcast crew I mean I'm with them every week um, we kind of look at Chicago almost as the favorite uh, after some of the results they've had lately the way their main um, attacking weapons are starting to play you know I, I don't think Columbus has put together some of their best soccer um, a, a good win yesterday uh, don't get me wrong but um, I don't think they have too much of a home field advantage in Columbus they have a very good core group of fans uh, that are loud and, you know, it looks nice on TV, but, you know, they only had 11,000 people show up for their game yesterday. So I don't know how much of an advantage they have really going there. They're both teams to play on grass. Um, and, and Chicago is coming off of such a, a good result the other night. Um, they have a little bit more rest uh, for Columbus. It ends up being a short week now. Um, so I actually think Chicago – would be the the favorite coming into this, and that's the team. At least me personally, I, I think they're going to uh, get to MLS Cup.
0: It, it should be a very interesting game, Mark. Uh, especially where Chicago doesn't have to travel very far to go to Columbus, so it's it's not like an East Coast West Coast type of home advantage.
3: No, yeah, you're right, and, and I think that there's a lot of little sidelights, and it's obviously Brian McBride playing against you know, the club he was with for such a long time. He was the face of Columbus. Um, you have John Bush going back and playing against the club. That basically told him, you know, you're not good enough anymore. Um, John Bush really has resented Ziggy Schmidt. He, he said a lot, both you know, uh, publicly and, and not publicly about it. And he, um, you know, he would love nothing more to knock them out. Um, and I, I think that you have a team in Columbus that has kind of rallied around the fact that they, they don't have a lot of big stars, and they they kind of have been, you know, you're starting to get small market and big market type clubs in this league. They, they're kind of a small market group, and, and they're going against, you know, a team like Chicago that, that has, you know, a designated player and that, you know, has, a, excuse me, a couple of, you know, they have a lot more money and they have a, a much newer stadium and um, they know the league would probably rather have Chicago win, so I think they're going to pit it themselves as underdogs in this, and um, I think it's a good matchup. You know, it's a team that was the best team during the season. In Columbus versus the team that's probably playing the best soccer right now which is Chicago
0: yeah now, were you surprised uh, do you know anything behind the reason that Pat Noonan didn't get to play in this game
3: well Noonan has been uh, hasn't been playing too much um, in, in the last several games really uh, it was it was it was about three games ago when when he didn't come off the bench that you know I first kind of uh, was surprised by it but it, it's just the way it's starting to go with the flow of players coming in he Uh, really, Ekbo's starting to come in and and be the guy, uh, that's, that's filling where Noonan would come in off the bench. Um, you know, and if anything with Noonan is that, you know, he's a good forward, but he's not going to unseat Mourinho and Scalotto at this point. Um, he's not really a guy that's going to be behind the strikers like where Brad Evans is and where, uh, somebody like Ekbo can play. So he's really just become the odd man out, but, at the same time, Ziggy knows what he can do, and he's somebody that, when called upon, I mean, all the Revolution fans know exactly what Noonan brings to the table, and I think it's just uh, kind of worked out with the way the rotation's going. It's it, it hasn't been broke um, right now, and, and I think Ziggy just um, has been looking for different qualities from some of the players he's bringing in.
2: And then on the, the other side on the West Coast, we have two teams that, as we mentioned earlier, don't have winning records, barely made it into the playoffs, had to fight their way in. Um, do you see any contender, really? either team coming out of that, that side? Do you see they have much of a chance going forward into the MLS Cup?
3: Well, I think that um, it's going to be really fun to see that game because I think that from being out there only a couple of weeks ago and being out there a few times this year, um, the Salt Lake fans are, are really hyped up about this. Um, I was there on the opening night of that stadium. Uh, there was a great buzz there. It's a great stadium. I think they're going to pack it. I think they're going to get behind it. Um, I think it's going to be a true home field advantage, which I don't expect to see in Columbus, and we certainly didn't see in you know New England or even Chicago in, in both those legs. Um, so I think it's going to be tough for New York to come out there and play. And you know, New York's coming off of an emotional win. Um, I don't know if they can do it again. Um, Jason Crisis did a real nice job with this team. I I think Real Salt Lake, you know, I think that will pay big dividends having that be a home game, and um, I kind of expect them to get there.
2: And mentioning the Rebs, what do you think went wrong in their season? Did they not make the moves they needed to make in the offseason, or was it really the the injuries that they had too much for any team to overcome?
3: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think that when you look at the guys they added, you know, Dubé and then Sally... Um, and yassi you know, and adding Albright, um, I think they they added some quality. Um, I think, you know, every team's going to miss on a few players. I don't know if Castro made the impact that maybe Steve Nichol wanted him to make. Um, I certainly wasn't very impressed with him. Um, but I think that, by and large, I mean, nobody can be upset with the two 19-year-olds, you know, and then, um, you know, that they, that they found. It was a great find. Uh, they're hardly being paid that much money right now, you know. And if you can get uh, players on the cheap like that, I mean, that's that's how you win in in MLS. Um, you know, when you lose somebody like Taylor, it's going to kill you. Uh, Showery was playing at probably 50 percent, um, you know. And then once Lorena once went down, I mean, it would have been um, it would have been almost a miracle for them at that point to to get through with the lineup they actually had out there. You know, a bunch of rookies, a bunch of guys that hadn't even been been in the playoffs. You know, and then they're playing, you know, on the road against a bunch of Chicago players. You know, they had a lot of guys there that have been at World Cups, and at that point, uh, it was going to be tough. But I, I don't think they, I don't think they underachieved. Um, I think in, in past years they have overachieved. You know, I think this was probably about as far as they should get.
0: So, Mark, now that uh, the disappointments uh, settling in, um, uh, look into your crystal ball and tell us uh, what what's the Revolution really need to do. Uh, uh, obviously, some of the guys are getting older. Some of the young guys are going to get better, but but how are we going to bring this back to being an MLS Cup finalist?
3: Well, I just don't I don't see a designated player coming anytime soon. I, I know everybody would like to see it. I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, I think Michael Parkhurst will uh, be in Europe next year. Um, I, I think Taylor might may not be back. Uh, I could see that situation changing. So I think the whole makeup of the team could change, Um, but the nice thing is that you know you're still having Showery and Jeff Lorenowitz there as the center midfielders, some of those young guys to build around. I think what they need to do, um, in addition to having a a pretty good draft, is they got to bring in some just serviceable MLS guys that have been around the league a little bit and and can um, come in and maybe not be stars, but be guys that can be, you know. uh, those Pat Noonan type players, um, that are going to be, you know, above average players in MLS. I mean, that was really what, you know, Steve Nichols built this team around was, um, you know, and, and guys became stars. I mean, Joe Twalman, Sheldon Joseph, guys like that. But, uh, at the same time, they've always had a very blue Keller mentality on this team. And, um, you know, Steve Ralston's going to be a year older. I, I think that you got to bring in, uh, some guys that are, that are younger, but have had some, Experience in this league. I don't know how safe it is to bring in guys from the outside. You know they've they've done that enough recently. I, I think it might be time to make a trade, kind of in the, in the same to, sort of way they brought in Albright last year. Um, you know, find a need. If it's a striker you want, look at some of these other teams that now have three or four in the mix. You know, San Jose now has an abundance of strikers that may be looking the deal. Maybe you, you grab a Scott Sealy, somebody like that. Um, I think there's. That's going to be a need uh, right now, and um, if by losing Parkhurst and Taylor, they're going to have some money to spend, and they got to do it wisely.
2: Yeah, it will certainly be a very, very, you know, a lot of changes in this offseason that the Reds are going to have to make or be forced to make. I think going forward, and the draft this year was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, they're going to have to do better next year if they're going to be more successful. I would think, um, but. Going forward here, what do you think went wrong the most for the Revs here? There were the injuries, but at the same time, even when they had guys healthy at the end of the season, things didn't seem to go well. Was it because of all these games that they had midseason that you know really hurt them?
3: I think that was part of it, but I think another part of it was that in years past, there really was a system that they could stick to. They played that three five two, guys knew their roles. Um, part of it being with the schedule took them out of that. Uh, I know from talking to Stevie that, he felt they couldn't play in a three-five-two down the stretch because they just didn't have the legs for it, and I think that hurt them. I think that was when they were best. I think Shari Joseph plays best in a three-five-two. Uh, Jeff Lorenowicz does. I think Michael Parker's plays much better in a three-five-two and a little compact defense. Um, and I even think that helps Jay Heaps play. I think once they went to a four-four-two, it, it kind of lessened the role that kind of exposed somebody like you know Nyasi a little bit as well. Um, it, it, it definitely didn't help them, um, you know. We mentioned Twalman and guys like that, but also losing somebody like Adam Chrisman, um, who, you know, was more of a role player, scored some goals and, and gave them some good minutes, and, and that hurt as well. But I think that for them, uh, having that, that straight system they play uh, and being able to rely on that, I think that was one of the problems down the stretch.
0: So do, do you see that uh, if Steve Nichol continues with the team, do you, do you think that uh, the, the player changes will be to bring in players that complement or fit into that 352 system the best?
3: Well, that's the thing. I think the 352 worked tremendously having Parkhurst because he's, he's smart enough to be able to operate in that. Um, and they seem to work best with that when he was here. I think with him leaving, and I'm saying that, you know, because he is going to leave, um, I think that they gotta do what's best for them. There's a center back out there that they can either bring in uh via trade or, or via foreign player signing uh that can operate in that then fine. Uh but if they go to a four four two then that's something that you do from the beginning of preseason onward and, and, and get them really set in there. I think that would help Chris Albright. I think he's more of a, a right back in a four four two system where he has more of an ability to get up in the attack than be a marking back. Um you know, but I think that with Parker's leaving, yeah, you're kind of starting from scratch again with your defense and and, and having to build uh,
2: from the inside out. And then the other question becomes, uh, offensively, even if they do retain Swamin, it seems like no one um, of the other three forwards, Chrisman, Dubé, and Mansali, was able to really establish good chemistry with him. Uh, obviously, they didn't have a lot of time with him. But do you think that's something that could happen in the future, or do they really need to work at getting another forward that complements Swamin better?
3: Well, I don't know. It's almost like. People earlier on in the season started talking about McBride and you know why wasn't he scoring goals and all that. And what was interesting is that he's really not playing on a team that, that is built for providing service. Uh, I kind of think the revolution of change. There used to be a team built um, on serving balls into the box, and you know you had Steve Ralston out wide, and you know uh, there was always a different guy on the left. It seems I'm going back even to Brian Campbell and and some of those days, but. Uh, I think now, with the way they finished up with Castro and Yasi, you have two guys that sometimes aren't very effective in, in, in not going to ball in, and that's what Taylor needs. So uh, I almost think that they have to either get Ralsted out wide again to compliment Taylor or you know maybe let Taylor just kind of move on. It's something he's wanted to do, and maybe now's a good time to cut the cord, let Taylor go to Europe, spend some of that money on maybe a couple of players, and let and Sally and Dubé and Chrisman, you know, three very good young players, have their time.
2: So, so going back with the personnel that this team has, uh, they got the Superliga. um they, they went pretty far in the Open Cup before they, you know, kind of played a pretty poor lineup and ended up losing in that game, in that in that uh, competition. And mm-hmm. then they started off really well in MLS before falling, falling apart. Do you think that this, how, how should this year be looked at um, from a fan's perspective, uh, how do you think the fans should look at this year? Is it a success or is it a disappointment? They did they bring home one trophy, but it seemed like they had a lot of potential uh, the way they were playing at the first half of the season.
3: I think just fans have to be realistic about it. I think that to win Super League was great. I think mean, to finish the way they did in MLS you know, was, was to be expected. But, I mean, come on, I, I was there the other night in Chicago. When you looked out at the lineup Nickel had to put out there uh, and knowing that Shari Joseph was, was playing on a, on a bad leg, um it wasn't it just wasn't a lineup that you know is going to bring you to an MLS cup and it wasn't their fault with all of the injuries they had it's it, it just and the, even the suspensions you know Connell Smith um, you know they they were kind of on borrowed time in the playoffs so I think that once uh, the playoffs started and the personnel that was available I don't know how any fan in their right mind could expect them to all of a sudden just find their way magically an MLS cup again something something would have had to go wrong I mean Chicago would have really had to have a meltdown to to not get out of the series with with the troubles that uh, the refs had
2: and before we let you go what what do you have coming up or what can we expect from the the uh, rest of the playoffs the coverage on goal.com
3: uh for Goal.com, I mean I've, I've kind of you guys announced that way uh, a little bit on sabbatical with them right now during during the uh, ESPN season and um, you know with my college season with UMass Lowell. so um, you know, they have a lot of new features. Andrea Canales is, uh, coming in and spearheading the coverage. You know, Greg Wallace has started a new column. I mean, he'll be, uh, as always, beefing up his coverage over the next couple of weeks. Um, and he'll be out in LA for the final. There'll be, you know, three to four of the writers out there for MLS Cup. Um, and then for us on the ESPN side, you know, we're, we're looking forward to Columbus, Chicago this week, and then, the, you know, all of our MLS coverage. Uh, I think, I think we're probably rooting for Chicago and New York, selfishly, uh, to get a couple of those big market cities and, you know, to have Juan Pablo on hell versus Blanco and that whole deal in the uh, in, in the MLS Cup final. Uh, I think from a network perspective, that sounds good. I think from maybe the MLS perspective, it might be really interesting to see Real Salt Lake and Columbus in there, knowing that whoever wins that game would be a first-time winner.
2: Well, thanks a lot, Mark, for joining us today, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Gus. And again, for everyone listening, uh, the next ESPN broadcast is on Thursday, the Chicago-Columbus game. That will be at 7.30 p.m., so make sure to check out that Eastern Conference final. I know Mark does a lot of work for ESPN, as he said, uh, making that happen uh so th- thanks again for listening to us today i want to thank tony for coming in studio and we haven't really had the chance to do a, a wrap-up show before because usually the revs have lost an mls cup and we haven't had a chance to get back in and, and do a wrap-up show so i wanted to thank everyone who's you know helped out with the show this year especially those who have come to studio guys like uh, tony who's here today brian o'connell joyce furia uh, dave ackman um as well as adam sell who's new and coming coming in this year it's been a, a great year for revolution recap and you know we've hit, I believe it's almost up to 90 shows that we've done, so it's been you know, great for Revolution Recap. I'm hoping to be in a- back next season. Of course, uh, if anyone's interested in helping to sponsor the show, they're always welcome, so make sure to go to RevolutionRecap.com and we'll keep you updated on what's happening. We also have a Facebook page now, you can check out that. We post updates there as well. Uh, but, uh, as you said, these, there's many games coming up. The, the Western Conference Final is happening up between Red Bulls and Salt Lake on Saturday, and the Eastern Conference Finals on Thursday. Uh, but, it, it's been, as I said, it's been a great season. Uh, thanks again, Tony, for, for stopping by and Sean, it,
0: it's a great honor. I, I think I speak for all the guests that uh, all the people all, that help out with the show that uh, you've become one of the premier resources in in the last few years for Revolution fans to stay in touch with the team. Uh, I hope they appreciate the services you provide. I certainly do, and it's always an honor to be invited. So uh, we'll see you next year.
2: Well, thanks a lot, Tony. I don't I don't know what uh, your plans are for the future of RevsNet. You know, you know it's done. It's been a very great resource in the past. Do you have any any idea what the future for that site will be? Uh,
0: it, it's probably going to be a year of transition. We we have to uh, put our heads together and decide where we want to go from here. But um, I, I'm looking forward to being back next year and staying involved and uh, uh, being uh, on your show. <laughs> thanks, again,
2: Tony. thanks again, Tony. We will be uh, make sure to check out again revolutionrecap.com. We'll have the archives for this show up there, and for every single show we've ever done is actually up there. So. Uh, You can always check out that, and we'll keep you posted on the future of the show.